The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hey, hey, hey. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell going to freeze. Wait. (laughs) Tonight at the main event, what do we have? Who do we have? You know what it is. It's Taco Tuesday. Welcome to another episode of the Points in the podcast presented by Steve. Ben Wittenstein with you. And Zach Badgerhouse, of course. And Zach, we have so much Clippers slander to get to. Um, so much <laughs> Clippers slander. Uh, but before that, a little housekeeping again. You can follow us on Twitter at Points Paint. Uh, we post all our episodes there, all our updates, some clips from the episode. So it would be a lovely for... Anyone to follow us, if you can, you could also subscribe and uh, leave a comment to the podcast if you're liking what we're doing. We're going to have some fun episodes in the coming weeks, especially with the conference finals and with the NBA finals coming up and the offseason and all the drama that surrounds that. So we've got some good episodes coming up. But right now, Zach, let's start with what everyone is talking about. That's the Clippers slander. They lose to the Nuggets in Game 7. Denver moves on to the Western Conference Finals. And first of all, what a day on Twitter it was last night. But... Just how did this happen? I put in our notes just I'm so confused how the Clippers lost this series. The Nuggets looked incredible, and the Clippers looked terrible. The Big Three. This is what happened, Ben. It all started after the Los Angeles Clippers went up 3-1. Man, I'm starting to think 3-1 is just a bad place to be in sometimes as it relates to playoff basketball. Apparently, yeah. Because... You know, the Clippers being up 3-1, they're going to that game five. And I and I told you, I think on the last, either we were texting or on the last podcast, I said, well, they're going to probably be desperate to win that game five, that being the different Nuggets. And they came out and they won game five. Now, I, I figured, okay, game five, desperation, they're going to win that game. Force a game six, and then the Clippers come out on top and win game six and move on to the Western Conference Finals. That, however, did not take place. And I said before this series even started that I picked, you know, Los Angeles Los Angeles Clippers in six. And, you know, that didn't take place either because it went seven and we saw what happened last night. They lost this series in the second half of the game five and game six. After game six, I felt like, yeah, this series is over. The Denver Nuggets, they have them by their heels now. It was wild to see how good the Nuggets played in the second half of all three of those games. It was, they just changed something up and it's weird because you're seeing how good they play on defense in the second half and kind of, it's not poor defense in the first half of these games, but it's certainly not the type of defense that wins them these games later on in the third and fourth quarter. So it seems like they can almost turn on and off the way and how the intensity that they come on the defensive side of the ball. So that's a little concerning that sometimes they don't give their all on the defensive end. And it's, I think that's going to come into play against the Lakers, but they were able to do something defensively, especially in game seven, where Kawhi and 
Paul George combined for zero points in that fourth quarter. They were able to hold him to modest scoring opportunities, and they were just tremendous in forcing turnovers. It, it was it was wild to see how different they are from that first half team to the second half team. And I don't know if it's you know compliments to to Michael Malone and the adjustments that he makes, or if Jokic and Murray just wake up in the second half, or if the Clippers just got complacent and just stopped doing what they do to win games in the second half. I, I just don't know which is the dominant force here for, for these last three games that they played. Well, it, like you said, it was the lack of, it was like lack of offense and lack of energy that the Clippers brought out in the second half of those last three games that we saw. So game five and game six, what really frustrated me, Ben, was the game six game six. They led by the Clippers led by as many as 19 points in that game in the second half, in the second half of that game, they were up by almost 20 points. And they failed to maintain the lead. They, they failed to get any offense going. And they allowed Denver to gain momentum and get that confidence that they could still be in this game and still be in this series, that being game six, to push game seven. And then you look at game seven, the second half of that game, and then you look at Jamal Murray and what he did in the second quarter while Jokic was out of the game going into the third quarter. It was phenomenal. You know, he put the team on his back. As the Clippers, you know, they kind of had a solid lead in the first half of the game seven. And then, you know, Jamal Murray just kind of turned it on. And it's really funny because it's like the Clippers are supposed to be this team that's supposed to be defensive oriented. And they got the best two way guys, you know, offensively and defensively out in the West with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. But we saw Paul George very inconsistent. The X factor of the Los Angeles Clippers team to me being Lou Williams did not show up in this series. He played very poorly, and a lot of people called him out on that. Montrezl Harold, he wasn't as consistent as he probably should have been. And so, and then you look at Doc Rivers, and his is like, what were you doing in terms of the coaching adjustments in the second half of these three games? It's kind of looking like right now he may be on a hot seat, Doc Rivers. Yeah, and apparently he's supposed to have a job next season, is what the reports are saying. But he, there's, we're going to talk about his failures in just a second. I guess, you know, we can go, we have an early stat of the week instead of, waiting for the fir- for all big three uh, <laughs> topics to go through. We have an early stat of the week, so let's go to our stat of the week. And we have three of them this time because all three pertain to the Clippers Nuggets series. The first one in, uh, is involving Doc Rivers, and that number is three. And that is the number of times Doc Rivers has blown a 3-1 lead in the playoffs as the head coach of a team. It happened in 2003 when he was with the Magic, and it happened twice with the Clippers, once in 2015 and now in 2020. So he has now head co- been the head coach for three different teams that have given up 3-1 leads. And I think you hit the nail on the head. He just doesn't make adjustments. Yeah, he did not make any adjustments. And that these second half of these games were really frustrating to watch because it's like, where's the energy and where's the effort? And you got to call out Kawhi Leonard, too, because you're supposed to be the guy. You're the two-time finals MVP. You're the two-time champion. You led the Raptors to the promised land last year. They never had a uh, championship as a franchise. And now you got social media saying that, okay, it looks like Kawhi Leonard probably should have stayed in Toronto. And then you got other people saying that they probably shouldn't have traded all of those picks away just to get Mr. Playoff Pandemic P, whatever you want to call (laughs) Paul George, right? So they gave away all these picks. Paul George didn't perform consistently. He had a few good games here and there. But overall, he was bad. He was bad in the playoffs in general. 
he came out and he spoke out. He spoke out about it after having a good game, but he still followed up with being inconsistent. Like I said, Lou Williams was the X factor of this team, and I felt like they were going to go as far as he would take them, leading them on the bench. And he did not show up. He did not average his 19, 20 points in this series between the Denver Nuggets. And so this this is the result that you get when you don't perform well, Doc Rivers, when you don't get your team rallied. He's supposed to be this big motivating coach. Get your guys to grit and grind to really push out these games down the stretch. And they did not do that. They allowed the Denver Nuggets to fight back and instill confidence. And shout out to Paul Millsap, because even Paul Millsap had a third quarter in game six that was lights out that really put them over the top and give them confidence to even more to push that game seven. Then you got Jamal Murray dropping 40. Jamal Murray dropped 40 points last night. I love him. (laughs) I love Jamal Murray so much. He's awesome. He's so much fun to watch. And Paul Millsap, they were talking about him on the broadcast in game seven, how, you know, he brought them back in game six and he immediately hit a three pointer. He's just, he's been so crucial to them. And Jeremy Grant too. He's the thing is, he's like the nuggets, you know what you're going to get with Jamal Murray. You know he what he's going to bring every night. With Jokic, for the most part, you know that he's going to bring it every night. Now, we'll talk about this, but against Anthony Davis, that, that may be a little bit tougher for him. But for the most part, you know what you're going to get with Jokic. With Jeremy Grant, with Paul Millsap, you don't exactly know what they're going to bring every night. But you know if they do bring it, the Nuggets are an are incredibly difficult position. team to beat. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they are an incredibly difficult team to beat. And then, like you said, you mentioned guys like, you know, Jamal Murray's going to do his thing. Jokic's going to do his thing. Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap. My guy on the Denver Nuggets team, because he came out in an interview and told everyone, the public, we need to swing the ball just a little bit more. I feel like the offense gets a little too stagnant, and it's only in the hands of two particular players, that being Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. And the guy who said that, and he took a lot of heat for it, but then bounced back and had some clutch moments defensively and offensively in this series, in these games. And that being my guy, Michael Porter Jr., Michael MPJ, Michael Porter Jr. stepped up in big moments in this series to allow them to push these games that they had to win in order to force a game seven to be in position in the Western Conference Finals now. So shout out to Michael Porter Jr. for following up with his word when his name was called upon to step up big offensively and defensively for the Nuggets. I still have no idea how I feel about him, to be 100% honest, (laughs) because there are times that I'm watching him and I'm thinking this guy is the dumbest idiot on the defensive side. (laughs) <laughs> out of the ball he doesn't know where he is he doesn't know the good positioning he can't even guard one-on-one and he has incredible length at 610 but then there are other times where i'm thinking i mean this guy has potential to be one of the better players in the league he can hit the three-point shot whenever he wants he's extremely long he can get to the basket he rebounds really well so it, i just there are times where he just plays so poorly and other times where he plays really well that he he's the biggest unknown for me, and he's gonna be—he's ha- gonna have to be the guy that plays more consistently better if they want to have any type of shot to get to the finals. Because because of his length and his shooting ability, he is so important to that team to be able to put them over that hump of just kind of being like a very good team to a title contender. That's how important I think he really is to this team. Yeah, he's very important. I think. He's going to be the X factor into the Lakers series because you know with yeah. the Lakers, you know what you're going to get, right? Anthony Davis, he's going to be expected to ball. LeBron James is going to be expected to perform very well and at a high level. It's always about who's going to be the third guy on any given night for the Lakers. Well, for the Nuggets, I feel like the, the third guy has to be 
MPJ moving forward into that series because he's going to have matchups where Kyle Kuzma may be guarding him or he's going to get a guy like uh, Catavius Caldwell-Pope or or whoever it may be. He's got to be able to take advantage of those situations. Yeah, and I think you're 100% right. And we're going to get to that series in two seconds because I know this is our <laughs> conference preview episode of the Points in the Pain podcast. But the two other numbers that we wanted to get to, we kind of just mentioned it for the stat of the week. The second number was two. And that's the amount, uh, that's the number of times the Nuggets have come back from a 3-1 deficit in a row in this playoffs. The first team to ever come back down 3-1 twice in the same playoffs, which is unbelievable. And I don't know if that shows that they're not good to start the series and then good to end it, or if it just shows how incredibly uh, good they are towards the end of series. I just don't know exactly what it shows, but it shows that they're a damn good team when their backs are against the wall. Resilience. You know, that's that's what it boils down to. You know, they were resilient. They refused to go out without a fight every game. You know, even in the games that they were losing to get in that deficit down to 3-1, you know, they fought back. I knew game five they were going to do whatever it took for them to win that game and force a game six. But that's why I figured the Clippers would bounce back after that game five and take this series away in game six. But they didn't do that and forced the game seven and gave the Nuggets all the confidence in the world. They gave them all the confidence in the world. There's no better words to describe sports than to these two words. Game seven. Game seven is probably the best words in sports because that's for all the marbles. It's winner go home situation, right? And so the Nuggets, you got to, I give them all the credit, man. I give them all the credit. The Nuggets, the Nuggets, they came out and they did what they were supposed to do two times in a row, two series in a row. Being down against the Utah Jazz, you see Donovan Mitchell, he's playing lights out, getting 40, 57, you, you name it, right? And then you got Jamal Murray doing everything possible to keep those guys in the, in those in that series. And then they go down 3-1. And what happens? Jamal Murray elevates his game at another level. Then you get some good performances out of Michael Porter Jr. You get some solid performances, of course, out of Jokic. And here we are. Here we are, Ben. It's wild because they that was their third elimination game in two years. That was their third game, seven in two years. It was their fourth elimination game in three years, I believe. So they uh, are very much used to that backs against the wall feeling, that feeling of you need to win or you are out. And they're not a team that I would want to face in a game seven just because of how weirdly comfortable they now are in elimination games. And if I'm, you know, that next series that we're going to get to, they cannot take any plays off or take any games off either with this Denver Nuggets team. And I know number 23, he's been watching. I know he's not going to take his foot off the gas. No. All right, let's Nuggets. talk about that series. Let's go right to that series. The Nuggets and the Lakers. The Big Three. Western Conference Finals, a trip to the NBA Finals is on the line. And this is, you know, we we said this about the Clippers and Nuggets where we thought, you know, this is going to be the Clippers series. They're going to run away with it. And so I'm a little hesitant to say this is going to be the Lakers series. They're going to run away with it. But the matchups are a lot different than what the Nuggets have seen the past two opponents. And that number one matchup is not LeBron. I think it's Anthony Davis. I think he's going to be the biggest issue and the biggest focal point for if the Lakers win, it's going to be because of him. And if the Nuggets lose, you know, it's going to be because of Anthony Davis. He, the Nuggets just have not, you know, Rudy Gobert, a big guy, he was a big dude and the Nuggets somewhat contained him, 
but he is nowhere near offensively talented as Anthony Davis. Just nowhere That's near it. That's very true. That's very and true. Jokic, as much as I love that doughy man, he is still not the greatest defender. So I just, it, I think it's going to be feeding time for Anthony Davis in this series. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to see, because I saw a tweet yesterday that was pretty interesting. You know, Jokic's the best big man in the NBA. And I responded to that tweet, well, we're going to have to wait and see what AD thinks about this because Anthony Davis is a man on a mission to prove everyone that he is a superstar caliber player in his league that can help lead a team to championship promise. So I'm going to be looking at that matchup very closely, Jokic and AD. I want to see how each coach used both of their both of their centers, right? So, And then the advantage I feel like that the Lakers have over the Denver Nuggets is the depth at the center position. So having a guy like Dwight Howard, having a, a guy like JaVale McGee, throwing different bodies at Jokic to kind of confuse him and really, you know, play with his mind on the offensive and defensive side because you're going to have times where Jokic is going to have to come out on Anthony Davis, and then if they have Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis at the same in the game at the same time, you're going to have to pick your poison. Malone's going to have to decide if he's going to bring in um, – Miles Plumley or Mason Plumley, whichever Plumley brother it is, he's gonna have to decide which one uh, if he's gonna bring him in with Jokic, and they're gonna both play the four and the five at the same time. There's a lot of different coaching strategies that these coaches are gonna have to uh, decide whether or not they're gonna do Vogel and Malone. Yeah, and it, the thing with the Lakers too that the Nuggets have not seen is that the Nuggets or the Lakers get the majority more shots in the paint than any of these other teams that the Nuggets have seen. So they do a lot of work in the paint offensively, and the Nuggets. As you just said, you know, they're not really built to be shot blockers. They're not really no really good rim protectors on that team consistently. So that's where the Nuggets, that's where the Lakers, I think, are going to be able to feast is in that paint area, you know, 10, 15 feet away from the basket, within five feet of the basket. We'll see how the Nuggets are able to respond to that because Jokic could easily get in foul trouble early on in these games. And the Nuggets are going to be in trouble if that happens. So they're going to have to figure out a way not to get in foul trouble and to keep the Lakers out of the paint, which... I mean, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the coach of the Nuggets because I have no idea how to stop that. Now, on the flip side, I'll give you this because you you mentioned the Los Angeles Lakers being a, a team that's, you know, dominating the paint throughout the bubble and throughout the playoffs. On the flip side, they've struggled to shoot three ball, and the Denver Nuggets are a team that could probably get hot shooting from deep, you know. And so it's yeah. going to be one of those – it's going to be one of those series where what's going to be the strength and what's going to be the strength for each team. Are you going to see a Lakers team that's going to be able to shoot the basketball and be able to dominate the paint? Or will they only be able to dominate the paint and get, in, get the fouls and get the free throws? On the other side, you got the Denver Nuggets, who's been capable, obviously, as we've seen in these playoffs, that they can knock down shots. Jamal Murray can get his own shot, no matter who's guarding him. We've seen that. We just saw it last night. He went for 40 on a defensive player of the year and an all-defensive guy. Both of those guys. Paul George. Oh, and not to mention Pat Beverly, right? We just <laughs> yeah. went this whole thing without even mentioning Pat Beverly, the guy that's supposed to. He was and he was named all defensive and got forty dropped on him last night. So and he scored more points than Paul George in Game <laughs> Seven, which is insane. And so that just goes to show you that there's a lot of questions into this series that's coming up: Lakers and Nuggets that have to be answered within this first game. And I'm excited to see what happens. You know, the Nuggets, I really want to see how they come out. You know, they just went a full seven. Lakers been resting, you know, for about a week almost, or it's going to be a week by the time they play. So I'm very interested to see what's going to take place. 
and the Lakers have lost both of the game ones that they've played in the playoffs yes. so far. So don't be overhyped, I guess, if you're a Nuggets fan or want the Nuggets to win, if the Nuggets do win game one, because the Lakers have done this before where they just, they're either have a little bit of rusty legs because they have had such dominant performances in their series that they get a lot of time off before the next one. So it takes a little bit of time for them to get back into game shape after being off for almost a week. Um, so maybe they, they do lose game one and the Nuggets come out with the intensity of winning another game seven and they're prepped and they've only had a couple days off. So they're still good to go. Um, and they win game one and the Lakers are able to make adjustments. And that's what they've been best at against the Rockets. They made some incredibly good adjustments and against the Blazers. They made good adjustments as well after their game one loss. So I don't think this is going to be the series that's going to go seven immediately after you see the Nuggets win the first game. But I think this will be a very interesting series to see how the Nuggets do handle Anthony Davis and LeBron because they are built specifically to take this team to the finals and that team being the <laughs> Lakers. So I don't, I don't know if the Nuggets are going to be the one to stop them, but I think it's going to be interesting. And we'll talk a little bit about that series a little bit more in our predictions, but let's go to our third of the big three. The big three. And that being the Eastern Conference Finals, which we've already seen a game one of that between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. And we saw the Heat or the Celtics look like they were probably going to win the game. And it goes into overtime. And then the Heat just dominate them. Yeah, I like this series. Everyone loves this series. Get your popcorn ready. Based off game one, get your popcorn ready, Ben. I hope it goes seven. Man, this Miami Heat and Boston Celtics series, we want it to go seven. I think that's all everyone was saying after that game one. It went to overtime. You know, both teams came. They refused to lose. You got Kimba knocking down the big shot in the fourth quarter to kind of really push that overtime because – you know, Jimmy Butler missed in regulation, but then he comes up big in overtime and knocks down the shot offensively for the Miami Heat. And then on the defensive side, you got Jason Tatum. He gets past Jimmy Butler, clear way to the rim. Help defense comes over and bam, out of Bayou. Then he makes one of the greatest playoff blocks in NBA history. It's certainly top five, if not top three. That was absurd and he was even gathering himself for the block while tatum was almost off the ground for the dunk it was just incredible his his wrist i don't know no, yeah does, that's what yeah. does his wrist have that's bones in it me. yeah that's what i thought too ben i'm like did he break his wrist on that play because his <laughs> wrist was completely folded back for that block yeah it, it looked disgusting how how his wrist just was gone and how he was able to maintain some muscles in there, whatever it was, <laughs> to not just let the ball completely obliterate his wrist as it went through the net. And he was still able to get that shot blocked. It was it was amazing. And the thing is, too, what upsets me the most, if I'm rooting for the Celtics on that play, is not that Tatum, you know, tried to dunk the ball. I think that was probably a good move on his part, even trying to contest. Maybe not super smart in hindsight, but in the moment, it was fine. The thing is, Marcus Smart, was wide open in the corner <laughs> on the drive. Wide open. And all Tatum had to do was just get in the air, pass it to him, and Smart would have had a wide open three. Now, I don't think he was looking to pass the ball. And he wasn't looking to pass the ball at the end of the fourth quarter, where he had an insanely terrible shot after going ISO for about eight or nine seconds on the far left side. And he took like a 30-foot three-point shot. And Marcus I did not Smart, like that shot either. I, oh, man, no. I did not like that shot at I all when it. I saw it. And then it, look at the contest. He was already like three feet away from the rim. I 
think yeah. Bam Adebayo was the guy contesting the shot, if or Jimmy. So you're gonna shoot three feet away from the three point line with a six foot seven, six foot eight guy guarding you. At, he's right here, hand to close out. You're gonna take that shot. Go to the rim. Put pressure yeah. on the refs. It was bad. It was it was bad all around. I think, and, and I've. I've been happy to praise Brad Stevens and how good of a coach he's been and, and the adjustments that he makes in the game planning. But the end of the in the end of the fourth quarter and an overtime of game one was horrendously coached by Brad Stevens. They turned into the they turned into the Rockets. They were just playing ISO ball. It was Kemba playing ISO ball and it was Tatum playing ISO ball. They weren't doing what was getting them the lead in the rest of the game, which was great ball movement, contest or diving inside penetrating and then kicking. They weren't doing any of that. It was just ISO ball with a tired Kemba and a tired Tatum. And I, I don't really understand the coaching behind that. You know what? It's funny that you say that because they did get into a lot of ISO ball to Boston Celtics down the stretch of that game. But you don't want to know why? It's because the Miami Heat was doing it. And the Miami and it, and it was and it was working for the Miami Heat. And so they figured that they could just come down and emulate the same thing that the Miami Heat were doing that being the Boston Celtics. And so it was not working. Uh, Jason Tatum took a lot of poor, took a few, few poor shots down the stretch. And Kimba, he's played absolutely horrible throughout the playoffs. And he spoke on that himself. I don't know if it's the knee, Ben. You know, I'm a little worried about Kimba, but I'm not just, I'm not sure if he's fully healthy. I mean, no one's really spoke up about it, but I'm just not sure if Kimba Walker's really been fully healthy throughout these whole playoffs. It definitely doesn't seem like it. And he's, and I put that, this is one of our points. I mean, you, you, you answer the question, how, how worried are you about Kemba? But I'm, you know, I'm starting to worry a little bit more. Just, he, he just doesn't look a hundred percent like himself. I mean, he's shooting the ball, not great from the three point line. And there are times where he's, you know, has those mid range step backs where you're, you know, you're thinking that's classic Kemba right there. That's, yep, that's, you the Kemba shot. Kemba. <laughs> but other times he, they were, they were blitzing him. They were double team blitzing him at the top of the key. And, and there were points where it almost looked like he was going to throw the ball away. Now, granted he didn't, he was able to get the ball and they were able to move the ball. But the fact that the heat feel like they can blitz Kemba is concerning. And it's concerning how, how little they view Kemba's ability right now. And he's just, he's just not playing well in the Celtics, especially if they're going to be without Gordon Hayward for the next couple games, you need Kemba to play well. You just, you need him to be able to shoot, the three-point ball to to help expand that offensive spacing. And I wanted to mention him. I'm glad you mentioned Gordon Hayward because how bad do you think they're going to miss him in these first few games of this series oh, before yeah. he comes back? How, how bad do you think they're going to miss him down the stretch of these games? Oh, they're going to miss him a lot and, and his his shooting ability. And that's the thing, too, is they – I don't I don't think in general if this wasn't the Eastern Conference Finals, I think – I wouldn't say that the the Heat the Celtics are really losing out on much by losing Hayward, um, because of how well Marcus Smart has been playing with the minutes that he's been given extra in in Hayward's spot. But now that we're in the Eastern Conference Finals and the Heat are such a dynamic team with a lot of different spots they can attack you with, you need Hayward. You just need that extra offensive player who has the ability to score points to give Kemba you know a series or two off where he doesn't have to go ISO or to give Tatum a possession or two off where he doesn't have to just let it fly from 25 to 30 feet. Gordon Hayward is so important in that rotation that they need him right now to be able to add that extra offensive firepower. Because on the other side, when you look at the Miami Heat, you hear the, you hear the rah-rah and you hear the chatter about Jimmy, Jimmy Butler and Jimmy Buckets. And, you know, he's knocking down all the shots down the stretch for the Miami Heat, you know, putting them in position to win games. But when you look at the box score after you watch the game and you look, you notice, and if you've been watching these games, you also notice that Jimmy's not always the most effective player on the floor for the Miami Heat on any given night. It could be Bam out of bio. 
He can definitely be the dragon Goran Dragic because he's he was the leading scorer yesterday. He had 29 points. You know, he had 29 points against the uh, Boston Celtics. So he was the leading scorer. And then you got a guy like Jay Crowder who came out and had 22 points. So he's the second leading scorer to finish the game. And then there's Jimmy Butler. He's the third leading scorer. So this team on any given night can have any players step up for them, even the Duncan Robinson. There's no telling. Duncan Robinson may go six for seven from downtown in game two, right? You never know who's going to be the guy for the Miami Heat. And that's what makes it so mysterious to really know and determine who's going to really come out on top of this series. That's why I'm thinking it's going to go seven. And the thing with Duncan Robinson, too, is he is such a motivation killer. He's such a momentum killer because, like, I mean, he, he can go 0 for 6. And if he <laughs> hits that if he hits that 7 three-point shot in a close game in the fourth quarter, oh, that that's a killer. That's a dagger, the, yep. It's a killer <laughs> if you're the other team. So he's still important because he had three fouls early. He had three quick fouls, and he was in and out of this game a lot. And he still hit a, a clutch three-point shot. Still hit one in that fourth quarter I believe from deep and it was it was a big shot and it no matter he can hit one of 10 and if that one three-point shot comes in the fourth quarter of a close game where the heater may be down by six or seven and he hits that three it gives them life it gives them hope and it gives them motivation to to keep pushing and that's why he is such an important player and and you're right I mean this this heat team has just so many ways to attack you and you you can't count out Eric Spolster and how good of a coach he is and how good of an adjustment maker he is it's insane and I was saying that I said, and I know what I had a conversation with some friends yesterday, and this is what I was telling them. I said, out in the East, no, not even out in the East. In the NBA, there are three, there were three coaches at, at the point where we were having this conversation. There were three coaches left in the playoffs that were the best coaches in the NBA, the best coaches in the NBA, in my opinion. So Nick Nurse, Brad Stevens. And, and they happen to they happen to play each other, right? So Nick Nurse, Brad Stevens, they're going up against each other in the semis, and then Eric Spoelstra. Those are the three to me. Those are the three like top coaches out in the East, at least. You know, those are the yeah. three top coaches. And so you got Nick Nurse battling with Brad Stevens, and you know Nick Nurse got the extension despite losing to the Boston Celtics, but that went seven, and that was a great that was a great series overall. And right? they won Coach of the Year. Exactly, and so. On the other side, you got Spo, right? Eric Spoelstra, since day one, with him becoming a Miami Heat coach, there were always questions about Spo. Could he coach the big three when they had Bron? He was able to get two championships out of four out of four straight appearances. That's phenomenal. Then you're able to keep this team afloat. Then you got front office getting all the right pieces. You know, you got the free agent moves, getting Jimmy. They're, they, they're drafting well. Tyler Hero, Bam out of Bayou. They're getting hidden gems. Duncan Robinson trading for good pieces to surround these guys with. Jay Crowder getting veteran leadership. Andre Iguodala. Man, this you got to give credit where credit's due for Eric Spoelstra, man. And I'm going to go out and say this is not an underrated team. This is not an underrated team. They haven't been underrated. Chris Nunn, I hope he finds his way back, you know, after coming back to the, to the bubble, you know, a little later with the team. He hasn't really showed his... Uh, rookie performance that he did before the pandemic. And so I'm hoping he's able to step his game up, elevate his game so we can get more minutes for the Miami Heat too. But no, this team is not an underrated team uh, being the Miami Heat. They're here, no. you know? Yeah, you can't you can't underrate them anymore. And they do need Kendrick Nunn to, to be able to come back and play more like himself because he's been in and, and he's been okay. But you, you see how much of an impact the other rookie Tyler Hero has had on this team. And He's been tremendous, and we could spend another 20 minutes talking about Tyler Hero and how important he is to this team and how much he's grown 
as a rookie only in the bubble and how how good he has been in clutch moments. So they they not only have a bright present, but their future is looking really good too with how young they are with with Bam and with Tyler and with Kendrick Nunn. I mean, it, it looks really good right now for this Miami Heat team. So what's NBA Twitter talking about this week, Ben? What it do, baby? Yeah. Ooh, it looks like we may have to change our sound effect, Zach. Of our NBA Twitter with Kawhi Leonard saying what it do because any association with Kawhi Leonard now is not good because the Clippers slander is finally here. It is finally here, Zach. The Clippers slander all over Twitter last night. The memes, the jokes, it was beautiful. And there's not many top nights on Twitter. I mean, there was the time the llamas got loose on Twitter. And then later that night was that whole dress <laughs> conversation. Is the dress gold or blue or white or gray or whatever it was? Uh, and then you had the the Warriors losing a down losing while up three one in the series. You had that. That was a great night on Twitter. You had the whole free agent fiasco in 2015, I believe, with the emojis. That was a great night on Twitter. But last night, or I guess Tuesday night, when the Clippers lost after being up three one, after having the team everyone thought was going to at least get to the finals. That was a top five night on Twitter of all time. Oh, my gosh. The memes were crazy, and they would not stop. Like, they just kept going. It would not stop. You remember in in training camp, the start of the season, right, when they asked LeBron about <laughs> Kawhi not coming to, to the Lakers, and LeBron goes, well, I don't know. You ask him. So they put the meme up, like, you know, LeBron, how does it feel to be down <laughs> three, three to one? And he's like, I don't know. Ask LeBron. I mean, ask Kawhi. Man, I'm hollering, man. It was so funny, man. Like, then you got you got CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. They're having a ball. Like, they're having a ball. Oh, my God. (laughs) I love CJ and Dame teaming up to slander the Clippers. That's heaven. That's that's the definition (laughs) of NBA Twitter heaven, because that was incredibly fun. They were just trolling the Clippers. They were calling them out, calling out Pat Bev. And you knew they were just waiting for that exact moment. They were praying that the Clippers lost game <laughs> seven. And they had all those tweets lined up in the drafts, all of them getting ready to say, you needed, we need an extra house in Cabo. You know, are they coming over here after they're going to lose? It was unbelievably hilarious. It was so funny. And I think also the fact that people were talking about before this series and throughout the bubble and in the playoffs, people were really starting to think Kawhi might be better than LeBron. His reputation is done. Paul George's reputation, done. It is, it's an yes. insane how much damage this series has done to the Clippers players' reputation just by losing one game in game seven and losing this series. No one is going to think the same of Kawhi and Paul George ever again. Yeah, no. And then it's go, it goes back to Kawhi Leonard, right? I'm going to say this statement right here on this Points in the Pain podcast. I'm going to say this statement right here. And I mean this when I say this, man. I really mean this. You can tell by the tone in my voice. That's just completely changed. I mean this when I say this right here. Kawhi Leonard cannot, and I mean cannot, lace LeBron James sneakers. I don't ever want to hear Kawhi Leonard in terms of legacy in the NBA mentioned in the same sentence as LeBron James, period. No ifs, ands, buts about it. Because the last time LeBron James lost in the semis was 2010. <laughs> 2010, man, that was 10 years ago, the last time LeBron James lost in the second round of the NBA playoffs. So I want to hear no more Kawhi Leonard comparison with LeBron James ever again, ever. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm 100% on board with that. You can't. You just can't. You, 
he plays so poorly in game seven. <laughs> and he he's he's not a vocal leader like LeBron. He's a very quiet guy, which is, I mean, that's fine. That's fine if that's the way you play. But LeBron is not only a guy who shows up in big games, but he's someone who's a vocal leader. He's a leader of his team. You know everyone on that team is listening to LeBron talk. Kawhi just doesn't talk. He, he's not a vocal guy. He, this this team, and we'll talk about the Clippers later on in our overreaction a little bit more deeper on and, and the problems with them, but they really didn't have a vocal leader. And Kawhi, being a guy who you knew was going to score, you know, 28, 29 points a game, he led the NBA in playoff points a game. And for him to really just lay an egg in game seven is hugely damaging to what people should think of him. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a that's a legacy killer for sure. You know, just oh, a little bit, you know, because you you coming off a championship with your finals MVP and you're go, you're coming over here to L.A. to somehow, quote unquote, take the throne and be the king of L.A., the Clippers. Right. They did. All, ben, they did all the talking. They did, they did all the talking. The Clippers did. did all the talking before the season. They did all the talking. They they're on all these shows and all these different podcasts. You got Pat Bell on the Woj Pod. He's talking about yeah, we're gonna we're coming now. We're gonna get you guys now to LeBron James and this and that. And here we are. They can't even get the matchup against the Lakers. They can't even make no. it to the Lakers. <laughs> they were yeah, they weren't even good enough to do the Battle of L.A. They couldn't even get to the Battle of L.A. <laughs> That's insane. It's it's it really is. They are not good. And the fact that they had so much hype, and I think the fact that hurts me the most as someone who loved watching that Toronto team last season is that Kawhi would probably be in a better position to win the title than he is now if he had stayed in Toronto. I don't have any doubt in my mind that that Toronto team is at least in the Eastern Conference Finals right now if they still had Kawhi. Someone, someone told me this morning. They said, "Just imagine if Kawhi Leonard was on that, was on that Raptors team. You got an improved, you got an improved Pascal Siakam. So he's yep. even better than he was the year before. On top of having this, basically the same team that you already had, and you keep Kawhi Leonard. Man, that's, they'll probably go. They may be, but because I think the uh, the Eastern Conference, the seating would probably be completely different. So we wouldn't even really know who would match up where. But that's I will true. say, but I will say this." I wouldn't if you know healthy Giannis and Milwaukee Bucks. I still don't know if the Milwaukee Bucks go to the finals or Eastern Conference Finals, anything like that. If Kawhi is out in Toronto, you know, I still don't think that happens. Who knows if um, Giannis is still the MVP? If right. well, we know we don't know if he's the MVP yet, but you know, a lot of people favors him to win the MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. But who knows if he's in that same conversation if. You know, uh, you got Kawhi Leonard still out there in the East dominating, and he's probably, the, if they're the first seed and Milwaukee Bucks are the two seed. You never know how things really pan out if Kawhi makes that decision to stay. But what does he do? Got the little New Balance commercial. He's riding the drop top. Got the king, king crown all in the mirror because he's trying to be the king of L.A. And they can't even get the battle of L.A., Ben. <laughs> it's weird. And I know he wanted to go back home. I really do. I know he wanted to go back to the West Coast. But... Even at the time, it really confused me that he left the Raptors, especially after winning a title. They won a title, Zach. I don't know what he expected to have a better team when he left. You're already on a team that is good enough to win a title, and you think, well, maybe we can do it if I just leave and, and not even give a chance to defend that title. With a team that we now know, even without Kawhi, took the Raptors or took the Celtics to seven games in the semifinals. Uh, that, I mean, that the team was good enough without him to even make a playoff run. 
So the fact that he thought that he could leave and just have the same type <laughs> of success is wild when he already had that success in Toronto. Trying to win everywhere, trying to win at home, trying to be with the Clippers. Then you get your you get your boy Paul George over there, and yeah. then everyone's excited. Man, they were so excited, man. This offseason, this past offseason, they were so excited. You heard all the noise. Everyone, it, that's what's really funny, man. When you see all the compilation videos of everybody picking the Clippers, Matt Barnes, Max Kellerman, Marcellus Wiley, all the top people in these on these television screens that we see or that we see on Twitter or whatever, they all pick the Clippers to win a title. They picked the Clippers to win the title, gave us every valley, gave us all the reaches in the world. They got the best two-way this. They got a strong, deep bench. They're very deep. They got two guys that can get 20 points off the bench, and they did that. They both averaged 19 points off the bench, and so you got it. You look at it here. You look at it now. It's like, where's that same energy? <laughs> where's that same energy you guys had before the season? Now we're here in the playoffs, and you guys choke. Yep, it's bad. I mean, he wanted to play with Paul George, and you know what Paul George gave him? 10 points in game seven, <laughs> 10 measly points in game seven and no points in the fourth quarter. And you know what, man, no points in the, the Clippers quarter. did, they did not score a point in the fourth quarter until under four minutes, until under five minutes left in the fourth remaining in the game. They didn't score a field goal. It's bad. It's really, you can't have your two superstars scored no points at the final quarter of a game seven. <laughs> that's, that's unheard of. That's, in, that's insane. That's, no, that's an cool. insane statistic. Insane. On the flip side, though, if we're still talking about NBA Twitter, the Denver Nuggets, their Twitter account, calling out all the haters on Twitter. They were they were (laughs) quote tweeting all of the tweets from people saying, "Oh, the Nuggets are done." Even from from a while back from Game One, saying the Nuggets are going to lose the series. Even Game Two, talking about Game Seven, they were digging up tweets from people saying the Nuggets are done in Game Seven. I was loving it. All it (laughs) about the Denver Nuggets official Twitter account. I loved it too, and then I saw the one this morning where they posted pictures. Of all the people, all 19 people picked the Clippers, whether it's in five, six, seven, all 19 of them picked the Clippers, and they put that up there. I mean, I was loving it, man. I just go, you hate to see it. You hate (laughs) to see it. So good. I love it. I love when it's when a, I love when CJ and Dame troll the Clippers, and then you got to love when the Nuggets troll the, uh, the non, the non Nuggets fans. It's great. It's just great Twitter. Um, some other things going on, people talking on NBA Twitter. Giannis was uh, meeting with the Bucks front office to discuss his future, and it actually sounds like it went pretty well because there really hasn't been a ton of talk of Giannis leaving, and it sounds like the Bucks agreed to go into the luxury tax next season to, to pay for more talent around Giannis, and I hope for Giannis' sake, get rid of, get rid of Eric Bledsoe. Um, but it sounds like the Bucks are, are trying to make more moves. And you know what? What's interesting about it, is that you have to really see who else they're going to try to bring in to really make this team a really serious championship contender because there's a team that's coming, knocking. They're coming next year, man. We both know what that team is because we talk, we've talked about it before, and I've even stated on this podcast that this may be – this year was probably Giannis' best chance to come out the East and win a championship unless they tune up that roster. And that being the Brooklyn Nets having Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie and those boys, they're coming. They're coming in the East, and everybody better be ready. I feel like people just forgot about number seven, <laughs> Slim yeah, Reaper. I thought you were going to say the Bulls. <laughs> no, you did not. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd say the Bulls. Why we are? You're so funny, man. You know I'm not. You know I'm not talking no Chicago Bulls right now. They got to get everything intact. <laughs> Kobe White, he's going to most improve next season. It's coming. Don't worry. 
Uh, let's see other things going on. Uh, we have the first, we have the, um, all rookie first team and all NBA first, second, and third teams were released today, actually. And the rookie first team was released yesterday. Yes. And the all NBA teams this year for 2019, 2020, people were trying to figure out who were going to be snubbed. And well, when I look at it, you got first team, you have LeBron James, you have Giannis. I know you're happy that Luka Doncic was named NBA all first team. Then you got Anthony Davis and, of course, James Harden, the NBA leading scoring champ. Second team, you have Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic, Chris Paul. I was so happy he made Chris Paul. Uh, he made uh, NBA All Second Team CP3, and then yeah, Pascal Siakam. Now that's the one that people felt a little fishy about Pascal Siakam, and we'll get into that one. But then the NBA All Third Team was Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Rudy Gobert. And Russell Westbrook. Now, if you had to decide who was snubbed on this All NBA, who would you say was snubbed on this list, Ben? Or wasn't on that? That's not on this list. You know, the thing is, even looking through it, I just, I don't really, I don't think I can say with the with any feeling that people were snubbed. To be hundred percent honest, it. I mean, it seems okay. to me that these these lists were pretty solid. Luca being first team was a little bit surprising, but he just he played so well that it's it's hard to make the argument that he shouldn't be first team all nba to be 100 percent honest and i don't i mean like you know westbrook and and butler and tatum you look at those three guys and you're like yeah they played really good this season i don't know if they were you know the top two in their position but they played well so being on the third team makes sense um and even the second the second team with chris paul i think chris paul definitely deserves second team he played a tremendous season and he took a team people expected to be at the bottom of the West into a playoff contender. Um, but yeah, I think Pascal maybe being second team is a little bit fishy. I think you maybe could have put Tatum on there and you could have swapped Tatum and Siakam Tatum being on second team and Siakam being on third team. But I really don't have too many arguments with these teams. How do you feel about Joel Embiid not being on the all NBA team? See that I would be okay with him maybe being third team. Okay. Instead of Gobert. I don't, okay. I think Jokic absolutely deserves second team. I don't think Embiid, I don't think Embiid played well enough to, to be better than Jokic in terms of, of being on that second team. But if you put Embiid instead of Gobert as the center on that NBA third team, I'd be fine with that. I think that's fine. And, and I would probably prefer that more, but I don't have any argument against Gobert. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm keeping, I'm keeping Jokic on second team without question. Like Joel, Joel at best would be on third team, but then I would have to honestly drop See, it's, it's kind of fishy because, you know, I've seen a lot of people not really want a spicy P to be on the second team and thought he should have been on third team. Yeah. That's but, then it, but then if you do that, you have to bump someone up from the third team in order for him to drop and then add Joel Embiid. <laughs> right. and so I think that's probably a little too much. And that, that just, you know, saying barrels it down to this, you know, somebody from the Sixers got on the got on the all NBA team and it was Ben Simmons. So, you know, they should really honestly be satisfied with that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's fine. I think Simmons, the thing is, he's so good defensively, too, is is the reason I think Simmons is on that third team. If it was just him and his offense, I don't think he's making that that third team, but I think just because of how good he can be defensively, Same. I think and he then needs he, to put on there. And then I like I like the, um. did you see the, the all-rookie first team? Did you see that unanimous? I love I the fact that my baby John Moran got the unanimous, but did you see what he tweeted? <laughs> About the uh, unanimous all-rookie first-team selection. Did you see what he said? No, what did he tweet? 
He tweeted out, hmm, you know he got the you got the hand over the over <laughs> you got the hand over the face. The thinking man hand emoji. over the face emoji. And then you got John Morant tweet. Yeah, he's like, okay, so I won unanimous all first team, but I couldn't get all unanimous rookie of the year. You know what I said? You're right. Somebody was hating John Morant. Like Somebody was hating. That one person was hating on you. You for sure should have got unanimous uh, rookie of the year for sure. Yeah, that one person voted for Zion to be number one in, in rookie of the year, which, again, insane. <laughs> That's an insane position to take. And I, I, whoever did that needs to have their NBA writing credentials taken away because that is that is absurd to think that Zion should be rookie of the year over Ja. Come on. Come on. Think think better here. Now, yeah, think better, be better, do better, right? Now, this is something that I thought I was interesting on the uh, all-rookie teams, right? Guess who was not on the all-rookie team, man? Guess who wasn't on it? It was R.J. the Barrett. <laughs> R.J. Barrett, so much the hate. New York Knicks, did not make the all-rookie first team, or all-rookie team, neither first or second. And you know who did? That I thought that was very surprising, and I felt like okay, R- okay, they might be pushing the, they might be pushing it here, because I really feel like R.J. Barrett probably should have been on all rookie second team versus Terrence Davis the second. How do you feel about that? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I think R.J. had a really good first season. I mean, he put up some pretty good statistics for someone who, first of all, was on the Knicks. Who, <laughs> if you're on the Knicks and you put up good statistics, you deserve a, a trophy for that in and of itself. Honestly, you know. One of the better scorers on the Knicks this season is is a good trophy to hand out for him. But he he played really well, and I, and I think he improved throughout the season, and he showed flashes of of someone who can become a really solid player in the league. And the fact that he wasn't on the all any of the all rookie lists is is weird. It's especially weird because he's in a big market too, and those guys usually do not get missed like that. Exactly, and so I think he's going to come out with a chip on his shoulder for year two. And he's going to try to push for that uh, most improved player of the year award. I think a lot of guys, you know, when, you know, when they miss out on certain awards or if they don't do as well as they did, you know, year one or year two, that really puts that extra, you know, push on them for them to be better and do better. And when I say that, I saw in an interview, Lonzo Ball, he's, he wants that most improved player of the year award because, you know, his first few years in the league, he hasn't really been too much promise in terms of elevating. And so he's putting that out there that I'm coming for most improved player of the year. And, you know, a guy like R.J. Barrett can definitely go up for that award, too, as well, for being snubbed for uh, our rookie first and second team. Yeah, I could definitely see that as being motivation for him. And, I mean, the Knicks aren't exactly on an upwards trajectory, but I don't know if they're on a downwards trajectory now that they have Thibodeau as their head coach, who who maybe (laughs) stabilized the ship a little bit, but... Hey, listen, if if the most improved player of the year award is is mostly based on regular season statistics, and it is, and you have Coach Thibodeau, who is a regular season god, and not so much postseason god, but he he does know how to play in the regular season, I think R.J. Barrett has a really good chance of doing most improved. If, if he has a coach that really actually cares about those regular season wins. All right, now Mike D'Antoni is the next one we wanted to talk about because he has stepped down as the Rockets coach. He's out. Getting out of the small ball, pace and space <laughs> era of the Rockets. Uh, he's being considered by a couple teams. I think the Pacers, I know some Pacers fans who want him to be hired as the next head coach after Nate McMillan was gone. The Sixers, I think, would be an interesting spot for him. But, Zach, I don't really have a doubt that he's going to land somewhere as a head coach since there's a, a pretty good amount of head coaching openings this offseason. You know what? I disagree. 
I really? disagree. Yeah, and I and it, it it's it's painful for me to say that because you know I would agree with you. Like I agree, I technically do agree with you, but I agree with you in the sense that it shouldn't happen, right? However, it's gonna happen because people are showing interest, right? Because at first the Philadelphia 76ers were showing interest with Ty Lue. Now you see what the Clippers got going on. You know, that's probably going to be a little shaky. Mm -hmm. They've already, yeah, they've showed some interest, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers since uh, Mike D'Antoni has decided to step away from the Rockets. They've showed a little interest a little bit. So, you know, they've been flirting with the idea of bringing him in. And now I've I've just recently received the uh, news about the rumors of the Indiana Pacers. Now that one is a little more different because that's you're talking about switching the team uh, flip a 180 like just flat out going from slow ball because the indiana pacers you know they had they had a slow pace game you know that's how they played their uh that's what their strategy was throughout the season you know slow the slow the game down slow the ball down you know get good shots quality shots running gun is what uh mike d'antoni is all about and so that's he loves all, it yeah, so that's a whole different style of offense. You know, we're talking about shooting the ball with with less than uh, what seven seconds or less, and so now it's going to be completely different if they decide to bring him in, Mike D'Antoni, for the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, they would need to build a, a very different team, and I think that that could be the issue. And and you may have swayed me a little bit because you know if he does want to play a specific style, it does take a little bit of time for a team to make itself in the image that he wants. I mean, it's going to take some trades. It's going to take some off season acquisitions. And if he just goes to a team that, that isn't prepared in terms of having the personnel to do what he wants to do, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough at first. And I don't know if teams want to make that commitment, especially after seeing basically the team, a perfect team for him in terms of what the Rockets built, not succeed. Exactly. And then you got to look at it. Okay. If the Sixers are interested he needs some shooters, Mike D'Antoni. He's going to need some shooters. And we know the Philadelphia 76ers are. We're a very poor shooting ball club this past season. That is true. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see where he lands. It, it may be interesting. He may not get that head coaching job simply because teams may see it as too much of an issue to, to, to develop a team around him and, and to build a team around what he wants. Uh, all right, Zach, overreaction. Or no. Or no. So, right, so I... I came up a little bit with this question, um, so I kind of want to phrase it in a specific way, simply because mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a weird question to ask. But do you think it was an overreaction? And this is going back to the beginning of the season. Yep. Do you think it was an overreaction to think the Clippers were title contenders? Even even what we know now, that they lost before they could even make it to the conference finals. <laughs> was it an overreaction to think that this Clippers team were title contenders this year? Was there something that we may have missed or overlooked of this Clippers team because we were just focusing on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? Was this team, even from the start, not made to make it to the finals this year? You know what? In August of 2019, absolutely they were title contenders. (laughs) And then you saw the season and how they played. And the, the one word that you heard throughout the season from the Los Angeles Clippers was, was... what word was it, Ben? If you could tell me what word that was, what was the one word that, that they always describe with this team that they lack? Was it uh, chemistry? <laughs> and if I heard that word one more time last night in a post-game interview, I probably would have threw my TV out the window <laughs> because no one wants to hear that come playoff time. Nobody got time for that. 
Nobody want to hear that. You better bring it. Nobody got time for that chemistry crap. You guys set you guys set your team up to fail the way that it did with the load management, with not having these guys play games together. You thought that was gonna work? Come play all the time to not have these guys all play together all the time. That being Lou Williams and Montrez Harold and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard down the stretch of games. You don't. You guys only had that. What? How many times throughout the season? What? 25, 30 games. We're talking about a a potential almost 82 game season before the pandemic. And you guys did not play together all the way through. You know, it was unfortunate that Montrez Harold um, grandma passed away and he had to miss time. And so that's more chemistry being lost. You got the issue with the wings with Lou Williams. So he had to miss time. So that was like a couple games that he had to also miss. And then you got low management throughout the season before the pandemic with Paul George, I mean, with Kawhi Leonard not playing back, not playing back to back games. So that's gonna set you up for failure when the mat when the moments matter the most come postseason, come playoff time. And that's why they did not perform the way that they did. So yes, they were championship contenders. Did they succeed and really perform well throughout the season to really show us that? Sometimes. Did they have everybody on the court all the time? No, they did not. And therefore, because of load management, they're gonna be load managing the offseason. <laughs> You know what, Zach? I, I want to let the Clippers in on a little secret. Just, just a tiny little <laughs> secret. And that is the fact that the Nuggets had fewer than 10 players at the start of the bubble. Fewer than 10. Because Ooh, of guys... In the war. <laughs> because, because of people who were in quarantine. Because of people who had COVID. Because of injuries. They had fewer than 10. So I don't want the Clippers coming in and talking about chemistry issues and issues in the bubble and people missing time, leaving the Bubble coming in and out. I don't want to hear that because the Nuggets had the same exact issues. I mean, they didn't. They didn't have. They didn't have Will Barton. They didn't have Gary nope. Harris for half of the time in the bubble. Most of the time in the bubble so far, he only came back in the last playoff series, and he just came back stone cold. Had to jump right in in the middle of a playoff series that was going to go yep. seven games. <laughs> so I, I don't want to hear from the Clippers that they had any issues chemistry wise. I mean, this was a team that had all year to get that together. They had all year. They had the talent to be good enough even without chemistry issues. Because they had the talent and they had the pieces around them to be good. And I, and I really don't think it was an overreaction to think that they were going to be finals contenders. But I think if you look at the rest of the season, you see the little bit of red flags that they showed throughout the season to maybe see when we get to this point that now we can see, oh, yeah, it kind of makes sense now that we look back. And that was chemistry issues for sure at the beginning of the year. But most teams have those at least to start the year, at least teams that are new like that. They were extremely streaky. I mean, there were times where they just could not score points and they were losing games and, and they weren't going on winning streaks that you may expect from a title contender. And then you had issues with load management where you had Kawhi in and out of games because of load management. You had Paul George missing a few games here and there. I mean, this was a team that very clearly didn't seem like they were going to have it all together by the playoffs, by the playoffs. And realistically, they didn't. And you know what? People just kept saying, oh, they'll turn it on. They'll flip the switch. They'll get it together. No. Experience is the best thing in life, is experience. You got to get experience. So you got to get experience routine with these guys, knowing, like Lou Will mentioned last night, you got to know where guys are going to be at, good positions both defensively and offensively, and they didn't have that. And, you, and it showed a lot down the stretch of games in the second half versus the Denver Nuggets in game five, six, and seven. It all wow. showed. It the did. whole season basically showed in the last three games of that series. And I really think, too, it was arrogance 
I think a little bit of it was arrogance, especially with a team that at the beginning of the season, everyone's saying you're going to go to the finals. You're going to win the finals. You're going to beat the Lakers. This was the consistent narrative from day one when this team got together. And they played a lot, especially in the second half of those games against the Nuggets. They played like a team who just still expected to win no matter what they were going to do. They had no intensity. They looked very passive at times. They look lethargic a lot. They they almost look like they're like, we're going to beat them no matter what. We're expected to win. We're going to win. Yep, it doesn't matter that we're now expected. down. It doesn't matter that we're up 10. We don't have to extend the lead. We're going to win. Oh, look, it doesn't matter that we're now up five. Oh, we're only, <laughs> we're only down three. It's okay. We're able to come back. We have Kawhi and Paul George. And then it all just goes to hell. And that's, I think, what happened consistently throughout the season for the Clippers. It definitely happened like that. And for Kawhi Leonard to be at, like you said, you mentioned it earlier, you know, Kawhi was at some at one point averaging the most points in the playoffs. So it's like, where's your game seven mentality? Like, where yeah. is it? Like, where is it? Like, they combined for 24 points in that. They combined for 24 points. So that means Jamal Murray outscored Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in a game seven winner go home matchup. That's unacceptable. Oh. The Clippers slander will never end, and it is going to be the gift that keeps on giving. It's going to be great. All right, to figure to uh, finish out the podcast, let's make our conference finals picks. I know we're one game into the Eastern Conference Finals, um, but we can still make our picks for that, and we have the Western Conference Finals as well. I'll put you on the dot first, Zach. Who do you have taking the East and the West, and in how many games? Uh-oh. So, my picks for the Eastern Conference Finals, the matchup, ooh-wee. I want it to go seven. If it goes seven, I'll be ecstatic, right? However, although the Miami Heat have won the first game, I believe the Boston Celtics still take this series in six games. I hope it goes seven, you know, just for us, for the pod, you know, for the fans, the basketball fans. I'm going to take the Boston Celtics in six games that they win 4-2 in this series. All right, I'm going to stick on the Boston Celtics with you. I'm going to go Boston in seven. I I do think Miami gives them fits, and I do think the, the Celtics are able to come back from this, but it is a little bit concerning that game one. So I'm I'm going to still go with the Celtics, and I'm going to go seven games. Perfect. And so on the other side of the map, well, on the other side of the bubble, I should say, on the other side of the bubble, you got the Los Angeles oh. Lakers and the Denver Nuggets, right? Ooh, this one's tough. And when I, I don't, say t- I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to like be like, oh, easily Lakers, right? Yeah, you know, you do that with the Clippers, exactly. And I don't want to be wrong two times in a row against the different Nuggets. You feel me? But I was yes. right about that game seven because them for them forcing the game seven, I'll say, yep, I'm taking the Nuggets. And I even yeah. tweeted, I said, you know what, I picked, I picked the Clippers in six. But since the Clippers can't, they decided to lose game five and six. I'm taking the Nuggets for Game Seven, and they yes. went out. And they won Game Seven. Hand, they handled, they handled the Clippers in Game Seven. And so, when I see this Nug, when I see this Nuggets team, do they have enough Anthony Davis and LeBron James? I do not. But can they? But can Mike Malone coach them up and keep these guys with some confidence in this bubble? Because there's no home game. This neutral site, and I think this this neutral site situation has changed everything about the NBA playoffs. In my in my opinion. And so when you have that going for yourself, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say the Lakers are going to win this series. But I'm going to say the Lakers are going to win this series in six or seven games. More than likely, seven. But I won't be surprised if it does go six. But I'm going to say Lakers in seven. 
we are reading each other's minds because I was going to put Lakers in six. And I, I really, really desperately want to say Nuggets in seven. And I, <laughs> I hope, I truly hope that's what happens. But I, really? I, I just think the Lakers present much more difficult matchups for the Nuggets than the, than the Clippers or the Jazz did. And I do think that they're going to be the Nuggets are going to be able to re- to ride that high of winning Game Seven. I think they're going to be able to win one, probably two, two games or so. But I think the Lakers come out ahead. They win four two in six. Perfect. And so that right there was how we're going to conclude this edition of the Points in the Paint podcast. Myself, Zach Bazerhouse, and my good buddy Ben Wittenstein here on Points in the Paint podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you subscribe to Points Paint. Make sure you follow Points Paint as well. Follow us on Twitter, Zach Bazerhouse and Ben Wittenstein. Follow Shams on Twitter for all your latest breaking NBA news. Follow Stadium on Twitter as well for all your great sports content across the board. You got more Stadium podcasts too, so you got to listen to Trash and Treasure with Amina and Felder. They drop every Thursday. They're going to have great content, great interviews, great insight on sports as well. And that's going to conclude this edition of Points in the Paint podcast. And you'll hear from us next week.